Training camp is officially one month away, and one of the battles everybody's looking forward to is at the right tackle position. Who holds the edge, and could there be a surprise contender emerging to be one of the five starters along the offensive line? Rob Rang and I are going to be diving in on today's latest installment of Locked on Seahawks. You are Locked on Seahawks, your daily Seattle Seahawks podcast, part of the Locked on Podcast Network. Your team every day. Greetings, 12. This is Corbin Smith, your host for Locked On Seahawks. Joining me as always, my co-host in crime, Rob Rang. Thanks for making Locked On Seahawks your first listen five days a week. As always, we greatly appreciate it. We've got a loaded Tuesday episode coming your way. Training camp is only one month away from starting, so it's time to start diving into some of the key positional battles that are going to be taking place at the VMAC starting next month. We're going to be looking at the right tackle position today and continuing our 90-player countdown with numbers 60 through 56. So let's get to it. Now for your lead story here on Locked on Seahawks. There's a lot of anticipation starting to build with football season quickly approaching training camp now just one month away for the Seahawks. And the team announced 13 open dates for fans to attend the VMAC. 12 of those are actually at the VMAC and one of them being at Lumen Field. Rob, this is the time of year where fans, yes, there's not a lot going on news-wise, but fans really start to get excited. And I think in a weird way, with no Russell Wilson, no Bobby Wagner, all the incoming rookies, there might actually be more interest from fans in seeing this team, this new look team out in the field. Yeah, I 100% agree with you, Corbin. I mean, obviously, you're you're losing some star power with Russell Wilson and Bobby Wagner elsewhere. But at the same time, the intrigue, uh, I, I think that that all of the, the Seahawks fans uh, who are watching and listening, and as Corbin said, thank you very much. Um, but I, I think that, that many of them want to see with their own eyes. What does Drew Locke possess? Is Geno Smith going to take this job? Um, you know, how, who are the, the young, uh, speedy athletes that are going to be taking the the Seahawks to that that next level, uh, hopefully this upcoming season. And if not, then then, then certainly shortly thereafter. Um, so I, I do think that there's going to be an awful lot of Seahawks fans who are going to be watching and listening to our podcast today, Corbin, who are kind of eager um, to, to register themselves, to be able to attend the, the Seahawks practices that are open to the public. As you said, there's a baker's dozen, uh, and, I, and I use that term kind of affectionately, given our topic that we talked about yesterday, should the Seahawks be uh, looking to acquire Baker Mayfield. Again, it's all of those types of questions that I think is going to make the 2022 Seahawks training camp as popular, as intriguing as any we've seen in a long, long time. Yeah, and this is always a situation when you're looking at the Seahawks training camp and you're trying to register. I know this from my pre-reporter days. If you want to get out to the VMAC and you are not a season ticket holder, you better be on that link like five minutes before the festivities start. Because if you get on five minutes after it starts, you're probably going to be out of luck or you're going to have to try to get it, you know, a resale ticket to training camp. That's going to be your only way to get out to the VMAC because it typically goes pretty darn fast. And I actually anticipate that it could be even faster this year. So again, Seahawks fans have 13 open practices 
to be looking forward to from July 27th through August 21st. 12 of those are going to be at the VMAC. And just like they did last year, they're going to have one at Lumen Field. That is on August 6th. So again, mark your calendars if you're planning to do that. You'll have to register for that event as well. $12 transportation fee. Nothing's really changed in that regard. It's a dollar more expensive because of gas. But you park at the landing and rent it. They got a really great system that they have where they bus you to the VMAC. And then you're able to watch practice. Then they bus you back to the landing. And then you carry on your way. The Lumen Field uh, practice will be on August 6th, $17 for that one. And, of course, you'll have to pay for the additional parking that they have next to the stadium. So if you are interested, if you want to attend Seahawks training camp, which is powered by Boeing, you need to register at Seahawks.com slash training camp. And that is going to kick off tomorrow, Wednesday, June 29th at 10 a.m. Pacific time. And I'm telling you, folks, 12s, if you want tickets, you better be on at like 9.55 and be ready to go with a trigger finger on that mouse. Because if you're not and you're sleeping at all, you are probably not going to be attending training camp this year. So it's first come, first serve basis. Make sure that you are on that link early so that you have a chance to get tickets for at least one of these open training camp practices. If you're not, and you're caught sleeping, well, you're going to be caught at home because you're not going to be able to watch the practices. But again, Rob, I I really think you look at this team and the state of the franchise, there's a lot of negativity out there because you do lose star players like Russell Wilson and Bobby Wagner, but the intrigue of such a different looking roster and the first time in a decade having a different quarterback. I mean, it could be Baker Mayfield. We don't know who's going to be out there when they report on the 27th, but regardless there's a curiosity that I think is just going to promote even faster training camp tickets coming off the shelves. Like I just think, you know, three or four minutes in tomorrow, there might not be any tickets left. I'm anticipating it's going to be very quick. It's going to be a chaotic stampede to get those tickets tomorrow. Like it always is might be taken up a notch because of the intrigue surrounding this team. That's had so much change this off season. Yeah, I think there's going to be a lot of intrigue in the Seahawks. And then just what a what an incredible opportunity it is for Seattle area sports fans just to in, enjoy the weather, enjoy the view. Um, you know, it, it just is a, a relatively inexpensive way to, uh, you know, to just kind of immerse yourself in the Seattle sports scene. Um, you know, I mean, those people who have been unable to, uh, you know, to go to an actual Seahawks game or a Sounders game or a Mariners game just because of the prices, because of the transportation issues and things like that. Um, as you just, uh, you know, kind of explained here, Corbin, I mean, there, there is an opportunity to, uh, you know, park nearby and then there's the, the shuttle bus that, that takes you into the Seahawks facility. Um, those of our listeners and watchers who did not have the opportunity to see that and YouTube, you, you put that link up there and the picture of what it's like on the berm, uh, a big grassy hill that the fans are able to basically sit there, relax, bring your own kind of shade or or just sprawl out on a towel or a, a blanket and just be able to take in the Seahawks practices, see Pete Carroll there in person, see Clint Hurt there in person, kind of barking out these orders to hopefully get the Seahawks back on track. So it is a, a truly once in a lifetime kind of experience. Um, you know, a lot 
lot of times the Seahawks players will come over and sign autographs for the, uh, you know, for the fans. It, it really is a, a a lot of fun for a relatively, uh, you know, cheap price. And so I would strongly encourage any passionate Seahawks fans out there who, who might have some availability to go see a Seahawks practice in late July uh, throughout most of the month of August to, again, go to the Seahawks website. That's just Seahawks.com slash training camp to make sure that you register before uh you know things sell out and again the, the registration is going to open tomorrow that's wednesday june 29th at 10 a.m pacific time get in or or you aren't going to be able to get in if you don't wait if you don't jump on this opportunity immediately and i'm going to close with this remark if you've got a youngster that loves football or you think loves football there is not a better opportunity to Bring them out to the VMAX, see their favorite players, potentially get some merchandise. The players will throw footballs into the stands. Sometimes they're autographed footballs, and it's going to be more normal. I think it's going to be as normal as it was before COVID for the most part. I mean, last year even there were some restrictions as far as how close the players could be to the fans and stuff. Now we don't have the COVID protocols in place, so I'm expecting that it's going to feel like pre-COVID. And so it's a great opportunity opportunity for young people to go out and you know you're going to get a chance to see your favorite players cheer them on watch practice and maybe get some merchandise along the way uh get a shout out from players from pete carroll he loves coming over and yelling at the fans and having a good time so highly recommend it but if you want it you better be on that link before 10 a.m to give yourself a chance so that you can get out to one of the training camp practices up next we're going to continue our 90 player countdown with number 60 through 56 so we'll get to that here in a moment betonline.net is your number one source for all your betting needs and sports info find the latest sports developments league reviews and news including major league baseball betonline is your continued source for all your sporting and wagering information including live betting esports and scores betonline remains the best spot for all your sports scores podcasts and news this season and it's the fastest and easiest way to check in on all your favorite sports and events, whether it's MMA, boxing, or golf, head to the website today or use your mobile device to learn more about the trends in action. Bet online, where the game starts. You're listening to the Locked On Seahawks podcast, Tuesday edition. I'm your host, Corbin Smith. Joining me as always, Rob Rang. Thanks for making Locked On Seahawks your first listen five days a week. We greatly appreciate it. Going to continue our 90-player countdown. We now are into the 50s, number 60 through 56 on today's countdown. And without further ado, we're going to start off at the tight end position, a player that we talked about a little bit on yesterday's show, Rob. Tyler Mabry has been one of the more surprising undrafted pickups the Seahawks have made over the past couple years. Coming out of Maryland, he started his college career at Buffalo didn't have gaudy statistics at the college level and didn't necessarily have the greatest pro day workout either, but he's around 240 pounds. He can play multiple positions, including fullback. He's been a very valuable special teams guy, and that's why he was able to dress for a number of games last season and play some snaps on special teams. Certainly a player that is going to be in the running for that fourth tight end spot if they hold that many on the roster and at minimum going to be competing for the chance to stay on the practice squad. Yeah, I think that this is a, is a really interesting player because he is not a guy who 
you know, typically or, or really looks the part of an NFL star. Um, as you said, the, the production at Buffalo as well as at Maryland was, was not what you'd expect. I mean, we're talking about a player who who basically in his, uh, you know, most successful, statistically speaking, his most successful season at the college level that came at Buffalo back in 2018, where he caught 27 passes for two touchdowns and 230 yards. He actually caught three touchdown passes his final season at the college level. Again, that was after he made that transfer to Maryland, but still, he only caught 13 passes for 155 yards. I mean, this is a guy who his entire collegiate career caught a total of 73 balls for 722 yards and six touchdowns. And as you mentioned, he was not that impressive during his pro day workout. But I'll tell you this, kind of like Cade Brewer, the tight end that we were discussing yesterday, Corbin, is very much in the running with Todd Mabry to have that fourth tight end spot, which may not be on Seattle's 53-man roster, but it certainly could be on the practice squad, something that Mabry has spent some time time on in the past you know what you do see with Mabry is the ability to kind of make this splashy play that kind of surprises you um this is a guy that we've seen leap over would-be defenders we've seen Andre Diggs <laughs> exactly and, and and just show the body control the the ability to adjust to poorly thrown footballs um be able to pluck the ball out of the air and make it look easy uh you know and, and so that is one of the things I'm really intrigued by with Mabry, because sometimes you see these guys who just physically look the part and every team wants them. But then you also find these players who don't necessarily look the part, but are just good football players. And that's exactly what Tyler Mabry is. So he is one of those players I am most intrigued by of Seattle's entire roster, because I think that this is going to be a one-on-one -on -one kind of a battle between he and Brewer uh, for that final spot on, on Seattle's roster. And I have to give Mabry, the incumbent, a little bit of an advantage at this point because he's already proven his ability to kind of raise his level of play when he has to. Brewer has done the exact same thing. Again, that's why I think that this is kind of – the kids like to call it low-key. I think low-key, this is one of the most intriguing positional battles that we're going to be talking about all training camp long. Now let's shift to the secondary, a player that the Seahawks acquired midway through training camp last year, formerly played at Penn State, cornerback John Reed, and he had a very productive college career, but coming into the NFL with the Texans, things just didn't work out. He played a lot of snaps his rookie year, but really struggled in coverage. What he does give the Seahawks, though, Rob, not a big corner, but he can play on the outside, he can play in the slot. He has some special teams capabilities, and he's still a very young player. This is only his third season in the league. He's coming from a college program that we've talked about a lot. Penn State kicks out quality NFL players, and they've been doing it for decades, but especially under this coaching staff. How many guys are we seeing go in the first couple rounds of the draft that are from Penn State in recent years? They know how to develop pro-caliber prospects. So Reed's kind of been a player that's become a forgotten name with Tariq Woolen and Kobe Bryant being drafted and bringing in Artie Burns and free agency. Reed's kind of become an afterthought. And he hasn't been discussed at all at the slot competition, which I think his name should at least be mentioned because he does have the capability of playing inside. He has enough quickness and change of direction skills. He's got some ball skills. We saw that a little bit when he played last year in limited action in the second half. He's kind of an under-the-radar player who – a lot of fans and a lot of analysts are discounting his chances of making this team that maybe we shouldn't be. 
I, I don't think we should be. I think it's a really similar conversation we just had with, with Tyler Mabry. Um, you know, and then this is not a player in John Reed that uh, has that traditional size and, and speed and all that kind of stuff. I'm talking about a guy who's, you know, 5'10 and 185 pounds. That, that's not what Seattle has prioritized, the cornerback position in the past. But at the same time, this is a legitimate NFL player. He's played in 24 NFL games, whereas with Mabry, as we talked about before, I think we're talking about five or six games that he suited he up for. Six, yeah. Yeah. And, and, and with, with, with John Reed, we're talking about 24 games, about three starts, including a couple uh, last year with Seattle. Um, and, and so, again, that, that familiarity, um, the fact that he has already demonstrated that he can do this. And I like that you mentioned the positional versatility. I think that that's something that John Reed does have that ability. He does have the quickness, uh, you know, the, the acceleration, the instincts, the physicality, despite his size, to be able to compete at that nickel cornerback position. We, we've talked about this before, Corbin. So many times people will focus in on nickel corners and just focus in on the coverage. And they'll forget about the fact that as a nickel cornerback, you are much closer closer to the line of scrimmage and the big boys at the line of scrimmage who are looking to run block and knock down little 5, 10, 180-pound cornerbacks. And Reed does have the wherewithal to kind of see what's going on around him as well as the physicality to be able to handle that transition. So because Seattle does have as much transition at the cornerback spot as they have this year, obviously with some free agent defections, um, the, in, the, the players coming off of injury, et cetera, cornerback is very much a position of concern and considering that reed is a veteran and also still has at least in my opinion some untapped potential he is another player who i'm really excited to see what he's going to be able to provide the seahawks in his second season in seattle speaking of versatility maybe the calling card for kyle fuller who's coming in on our list here at number 58 what has kept his job in seattle is the fact that he does have extended nfl experience at center as well as both guard positions. He's actually played some tackle earlier in his career too. So kind of a jack of all trades, but not a master of any of those type of positions. Because we saw last year Fuller won the starting job somewhat by default because Ethan Posick missed most of camp with injuries. But Fuller won the starting job and really started the year off rough. And then it seemed like for a few weeks, their week four win against the 49ers. I think that's the best I've seen Kyle Fuller play. That was the finest game I've seen. And the 49ers ended up losing an early lead. The Seahawks won that one. The offense got humming in the second half. I thought Fuller played well, but then he struggled the rest of the time that he was a starter. Ethan Posick eventually took back the job. And it feels like we know at this point what Fuller's ceiling is. He is a guy that can come in and play some snaps at guard as well as center. He has played tackle before, but I don't see that being a position for him now. But he's an interior offensive lineman that in a pinch can play some snaps for you and give you some quality snaps. But I think at this point it's become obvious that the ceiling is not a starter. He is a reserve. He's a swing interior guy that can come in in a pinch. But if you have to start him for a number of games, it ends up being a liability for your offensive line. Still, he's obviously an NFL offensive lineman. He's hung around. And he's got that versatility working for him. He's got some decent size and athleticism. But when you look at the complete package, he's a quality reserve at best. And that's okay. You have to have those kind of guys in your offensive line. 
You absolutely do. And, and, and he is a player that has shown improvement over his career. I mean, you've got to remember, this was a practice squad guy just a couple of years ago, and he emerges uh, as Seattle starter. And as you said, I mean, it was a little bit by default. Um, you know, just because he was awarded Seattle's starting center position doesn't mean that he absolutely deserved it and he was physically gifted enough to, to be able to handle uh, protecting in a, in a, a you know, on a team that had a very mobile um, but also very difficult to block for a quarterback. And, of course, is going to be going up against one of the more dominant uh, defensive fronts that we've seen in all of the NFL. That's basically all throughout the NFC West this past season, Corbin. So I think that Kyle Fuller was kind of given a, a tough shake here by the Seahawks. And so I, while I was surprised that Seattle decided to re-sign him, you talked about the versatility. Um, you know, and that is obviously is, is something that is a huge concern for the Seahawks. Um, and, and so I'm really intrigued by what Kyle Fuller is going to be able to provide the Seattle. Um, 6'5", 320 pounds speaks for itself. Um, and, and so I, again, I, I'm really interested to see what he is able to do. I, I agree with you. I do not view him as a legitimate starter. I think Austin Blythe is easily the, the favorite to be Seattle starter heading into this upcoming season. Um, but at the same time, Kyle Fuller does have starting experience. He does have the ability to slide over play guard. He can be that kind of coach on the field to help Austin Blythe acclimate uh, to this offense, uh, you know, as well as Dakota Shepley or anybody else that Seattle might bring into the fold. But with the, the injuries and consistency questions that people have with Phil Haynes, with uh, the veteran Gabe Jackson, et cetera, right guard is a position of concern as well. And Kyle Fuller offers you a lot of uh, experience and, uh, you know, some consistency at those positions. Another undrafted player that has been able to stick around for a couple seasons in Seattle, aside from Kyle Fuller, is Penny Hart on the outside. And I've called him Mr. May and Mr. June in the past because he always brings it during the offseason program. And that did not change this year. It was no exception. He had another really strong offseason program in OTAs and minicamp. And Hart is one of those players, we've talked about this before, that his pro day at Georgia State didn't necessarily impress, didn't show off blazing speed, wasn't the quickest guy in testing, but he's one of those players that when he puts pads and a helmet on, he runs just as fast and he's just as quick, and ultimately it has allowed him to hang around for a couple of years, and he's going to give you some quality contributions on special teams. He can go down on kick and punt coverage and make tackles. He's shown he can do that. This is a player that has really been able to secure a roster spot because he does the little things that to be a fringe player on a 53-man roster, and he got more opportunities to play on offense last year. I think Hart very much is in the mix to be back on this roster once again because he can play out of the backfield occasionally. He can play the outside, and he can play special teams. He checks off a lot of boxes that you have to have if you're going to be a bottom-of-the-depth heart receiver that sticks around long-term in the NFL. And to this point, he's been able to do it. Nobody should be doubting him. Uh, again, I, I agree with you. Nobody should be doubting him. Very similar in a lot of ways to Cody Thompson, who we talked about uh, yesterday um, as a wide receiver who is kind of on the bubble. But the reason why he is still uh, you know, a, a guy who I think is uh, on the inside looking out and, and, and very much uh, you know, is somebody that I think that, that Seattle is going to keep uh, on the roster 
unless one of these rookies or um, free agent acquisitions really seizes the job just because of how reliable Penny Hart is. Now, again, I, I said that he's similar to Cody Thompson and that he is a reliable route runner, reliable pass catcher. He does all the little things well, as you just articulated. He is kind of Mr. May, Mr. June, uh, you know, and just in terms of what he can do during the offseason to just prove that he is dependable. Um, but at the same time, Penny Hart is more in that that five eight five nine, one hundred and eighty pound range. With Cody Thompson, of course, is in more at six two. Um, you know, and so we are talking about primarily that slot receiver position. Um, that's one of the things that going back to the senior bowl, when I watched Penny Hart from Georgia state, uh, have a spectacular week of practice at the senior bowl gets all the elite competition that he was facing there. I mean, he was unguardable at times just because he is so shifty. He does catch the ball quickly and he is fearless with the ball in his hands. And so I think that this is a, a, an example of just what a talented player that he is, what a great fit that he is in Shane Waldron's offense. If D. Eskridge, uh, if Marquise Goodwin, if, if some of the Seattle speedsters are able to really show that they have taken the next step, then perhaps Penny Hart is viewed as a bit of a luxury by the Seahawks. But until those better athletes really step up and, and seize that opportunity, then Penny Hart is that reliable football player that, that Seattle needs at the back end of their receiver uh, group. And, and so, again, I think that he is, at this point, um, the incumbent has to be a favorite and is appropriately placed on our, our top listing of the Seahawks prospects. I really think this cluster of players, it's really all about being undrafted. Four of these five players have made it work in Seattle's undrafted players. And John Radigan coming in at number 56, he did it last year. A player that missed most of training camp. That's usually a death sentence for an undrafted rookie. And yet Radigan was able to play in the final preseason game and really played well against the Chargers. And Pete Carroll and company were intrigued by him the entire time after being a late bloomer. But he comes in and has a big game against the Chargers. And at that point, the Seahawks still cut him, but they wanted to keep him around. They elevated him to the game day roster immediately after he was signed to the practice squad. And quickly after that, with Ben Burkirvan being out injured, he was on the fifth three-man roster for most of the rest of the season until he unfortunately tore his ACL against the Rams in week 14. But he put together a really nice rookie season as a special teams contributor, 10 tackles. He recovered a fumble on kick coverage as well. And at 240 pounds with decent athletic traits, if he can make it back from this knee injury and get back to his top form, I think you and I would both agree that this is a player that maybe there is enough upside there that he could play some snaps for the Seahawks on defense at some point as they try to move forward in the post-Bobby Wagner era. But at minimum, he's going to give you a valuable special teams player. And I think as long as he's healthy, we don't know if he's going to be back. He might start the year in the pup list. But when he gets back, I expect that he is going to be an integral part of Seattle's special teams. And he's going to earn that opportunity once again. Yeah. And as you said, I mean, he's already proven it. Um, I mean, what an incredible story. Um, just a, of what he did at, at Army and to be able to to make this roster for all the different reasons that you just said, the the injuries during training camp. Um, but, you know, this is something that Pete Carroll has prioritized for a long time. I mean, he went with, you know, of course, Nate Boyer a few years ago um, from Texas uh, and former Army Ranger. And, and just the, the perspective that these athletes from the service academies, that they are able to provide some of the the, the high profile, the, the athletes maybe that that just don't aren't quite as in tune with the rest of America 
in, in some ways. I think that these types of players can can just show their their blue collar roots and the work ethic and just say, again the the perspective that you need really to be a champion. Not just a good football player, but a, a good, uh, you know, a, a teammate, a citizen, the kind of player that, that Seahawks fans want their team to be employed by. Um, you know, and, and so I, I'm rooting for Radigan from a personal level. And then just from a scouting perspective, I see a classic middle linebacker. Um, no nonsense, kind of take on block, shut them in the hole, uh, be able to make tackles at the point of attack. Um, it has the athletic ability, as you mentioned, to be able to get 10 tackles on special teams. That's significant. Um, you have a former, uh, you know, kind of walk on linebacker type in, in Larry Izzo, who is your special teams coordinator, um, you know, and, and so I think that all of those things kind of go into the equation. Now, again, if Seattle gets, you know, the, the terrific play that they are expecting from their young linebackers, especially guys like Cody Barton, obviously uh, Jordan Brooks, but at the same time with Bobby Wagner, no longer a team with the defensive transition, you're going to be asking for more of those inside linebacker types who have the physicality and the intensity to be able to be quality run stuffers. That is Radigan's game. So if he can prove that he is over that ACL injury, which as you said, may very well push him back into the pup list to start the season. But if he can, then I do think that Radican has a good chance of being on the Seahawks roster in 2022. We're getting close to the start of training camp, literally a month away from when the Seahawks will have their veterans and rookies report. So it's one of our favorite times of the year. There's a number of positional battles that we're going to be diving into over the next couple of weeks leading up to report day we got to start with the big and heavies in the trenches. There's a lot of turnover at the tackle positions. Charles Cross is expected to be the guy at left tackle as number, number, number nine overall selection. He is going to be a day one starter. But there are some questions about who's going to be starting across from at the right tackle position in week one. And I think up to this point, the general consensus has been this is a two-man race. It's a traditional boxing match. We've got in one corner Jake Curhan at 6'6", 316 pounds, started five games last year. He's got some experience now. Other corner, you've got the incoming rookie third-round pick, Abe Lucas. He's also 6'6", a little bit heavier, a little over 320 pounds. But really, these guys are built pretty similarly, a little different body composition, but built similarly and I think everybody's just been anticipating that those two are going to be duking it out and it's a 50-50 thing. But I got to wonder, Rob, if we are entering WWE Battle Royale territory here, because I expect that there's going to be a third person flying off the ropes, swinging the metal folding chair, ready to bring it down, the chaos, and that is Stone Foresight. I think this is truly a three-horse race at this point. Stone Forsyth coming off the top rope it would, would be quite the scene. <laughs> that's a big man coming off the top yeah. ropes. I mean, that's I, I remember I'm dating myself. But I remember the days of, you know, Andre the Giant and Big John Stud and guys like that. And, you know, th those big guys, uh, they, they typically were doing the kind of the body slams, not coming off like Jimmy Superfly Snooker or something off the top the top rope. But yeah, 6'8", 320 pounds, Stone Forsyth uh, would be a pretty intimidating force up 
there. But I really like your analogy here because I do think that it is primarily going to be kind of a one-on-one kind of a boxing match between the two favorites. Um, as you said, the incumbent in Curran and then the the rookie that we're all excited about. You know, you and I talked a lot about Abe Lucas even before Seattle made that selection in the third round this past yeah. season. But with, with Stone Forsythe, we're talking about a player that, that did start a couple of games at the right tackle position at Florida. And then he was the Gators, uh, you know, primary left tackle over his past two seasons uh, or his final two seasons in Gainesville. Um, This was a pretty celebrated, uh, you know, uh, high school prospect. Um, And then again, just playing his college ball at at Florida, not only against the competition on the Gator schedule, but the competition on the practice field. Um, We talked before about Penn State and the way they churn out talent, the way they churn out talent. The Florida Gators certainly do that as well, especially on the defensive side of the ball. So I, I think that despite the fact that we're asking Forsyth to make that transition back to right tackle, the level of competition that he faced is just significantly better than anything that Curran and Lucas faced in the Pac-12. Um, and, and so I do think that that Forsyth, because of his size, because of his athletic ability, because of his positional versatility, he absolutely does need to be mentioned in this conversation. Um, the fact that Seattle slid Curran into right guard during the minicamps, I think, speaks to the fact that they view his uh, greater long-term potential probably being inside. I'm not so sure that I agree with that. I really think that Jake Curran is a quality enough player that you can get by with him at the right tackle position as a starter. I'm more intrigued by him as a starter, frankly, than I am Forsythe. Even though I think Forsythe has the higher upside, I still think that's going to take some time. To me, I think that that Curran is the best football player of these three. I think that Abe Lucas has the best combination of plug and play type of talent as well as untapped potential because obviously he is a rookie i think that what we're going to wind up seeing here is that lucas winds up winning the job and then curhan winds up kind of saving him at times and doing a little bit of a rotation there i really think that we are going to see a bit of a revolving door at that right tackle position while seattle kind of sorts itself out over the first half of the season and decides who truly are their top five blockers from left to right you got to hope if you're the Seahawks coaching staff that that's not the way that it plays out, though, because you don't necessarily want to put a guy out there if he's not ready. And that would suggest to me that he might not be ready if you're having to rotate guys in. And that's not taking a shot at Jake Curhan either, because you and I both think that Curhan is a capable player at right tackle. He showed it the last five games last year. But in terms of upside, Lucas with the athletic traits that he has – and the pass blocking prowess. I think he's a better pass blocker than what Jay Curhan is. I think Curhan has the edge in the run blocking for now. Lucas could still grow in that area, though, because he does play with a mean streak. He just wasn't in a system that asked him to run block very much. So there is going to be a major learning curve from that perspective. And we kind of hit on this earlier in the offseason that really it's it's you have to pick which flavor you want here. If you're wanting to really be a run-heavy team, Jake Curhan might be the better option right off the bat because that's his bread and butter. We saw him mauling people off the line of scrimmage late last year. And that was part of the reason Rashad Penny ran wild over the last month of the season is he was running behind big Jake Curhan there. If you're thinking, you know what, Charles Cross is a pass protector, Abe Lucas is a pass protector, we're going to surprise people. And without Russell Wilson, we're going to sling the ball around a little bit because we have pass protectors in front of them. Then Abe Lucas is your guy. And I just think, 
this is kind of where I've got a little different perspective now than I did going into OTAs and minicamp. There is a depth issue at guard right now for the Seahawks. And I think there are some questions beyond this year with Gabe Jackson. He's got an extra year on his contract, but he's now in his 30s. He's now in double-digit seasons. He's coming off of a minor knee procedure. I didn't think that he had a great year last year. He wasn't bad, but it wasn't the great year they were hoping for with him changing teams and hoping that that would spark, you know, playing the, his 2018 level maybe. That did not happen. So I think there's maybe a little bit of concern within the organization, especially with Phil Haynes being an unrestricted free agent next year. Who's going to be the right guard in 2023? And I think Jake Curhan can play right tackle, but I also think he could play right guard. And he struggled a little bit at the guard spots last year, but he hasn't played there very much. I think you give him more reps and more experience. He's not as athletic. Playing in a phone booth with his run blocking ability might end up being the best fit for him long term. You could have him as a starter and Abe Lucas or Stone Forsythe at the right tackle position. You have Charles Cross the other side. You've got a really young line that's got some upside. And in the case of Curhan, has played well in NFL games. I would not rule that out. I actually, at this point, I kind of am leaning towards this turning into a Lucas versus Forsyth battle at right tackle. And not that Kerhan is not going to be part of it, but I just wonder if Seattle at this point is viewing him as their swing guy that can play guard and tackle, kind of that sixth man, which is incredibly important, and let Forsyth and Lucas, the two more athletic guys at right tackle, that can get out in space, make blocks, have those two duke it out. I actually, at this point, am leaning towards that. How that's how it's going to play out. But that's what makes this fun. You got three guys that have unique talents, unique skill sets, and I think all of them are capable of playing in the NFL. And that's going to make this such a fun competition. It really is, and as you said with, with Jay Curhan, um, you know he has started obviously at the NFL level so far, and, and so he has that in his back pocket. And I, I really like the way that you kind of describe the, the guard position for Seattle. Um, that is a position that they have to figure out what's going on. Then they have to figure out what they have with Phil Haynes, obviously, um, and, and then Gabe Jackson. I agree with you. Solid addition, but not the, the the difference maker that I think was anticipated uh, when, when Seattle made that move for the former Pro Bowler. Um, you know, and and for those of our listeners and viewers who have never played the offensive line, now I didn't play it at a high level. I certainly don't want to suggest <laughs> that, but uh, I did play all along the offensive line at the high school position. And one of the things that was a real eye opener for me, Corbin, was just the how different it is playing tackle compared to playing guard when you're playing tackle um you know there there is usually almost a full yard three feet between you and the pass rushers coming against you or if you're running blocking before you have to get to them but at the guard and center positions a lot of times those defensive linemen are lined right up on your face and Immediate. even if you are yep. uh, even if you are a 6'6 315 pound strong man like Jake Curhan that is a significant transition so i'm curious to see how quickly he adjusts to guard now cuz you're right he did not look comfortable at all inside at guard for the Seahawks a year ago it was a night and day difference when they put him back to that right tackle position that he played capably for four seasons at Cal. 
if Seattle does view him, however, as, as being able to play that guard position, then I really think that's the best possible scenario for the Seahawks. Because as we talked about, Lucas and Forsythe are just bigger, longer, more athletic men. They should be playing at that tackle spot. And Jake Curran, in my opinion, is a proven NFL starting offensive lineman. So I don't think there's any chance at all that Jake Curran's not going to make this roster but at the same time, I do have plenty of questions of whether he's going to wind up becoming a starter um, for Seattle this upcoming season. Because as you said, I think the Seattle is intrigued by the greater upside of those two bigger men at tackle positions. And Curran would give the team a lot of flexibility as being that swing blocker. I think this really boils down to a lot of that floor and ceiling discussion. Because I think Jake Curran has a very high floor. We've already seen what he can do. I don't know how high the ceiling is for him, though. Abe Lucas, if everything checks off and he gets his technique figured out in a run game, could be a Pro Bowl caliber player. Stone Forsythe could be a quality starter with his athletic traits and the competition he played against in college. If that translates to the NFL, you have to remember the 14 snaps he played against the 49ers last year, right tackle, he went against Nick Bosa for most of those snaps, and he played very well. I know it's a very small sample size, but that was very encouraging to me. So again, I'm leaning towards this turning into, unexpectedly to an extent, a Forsyth versus Lucas battle. And Curhan, he's on the roster, but more competing to be that swing guy that can play a number of different positions along the offensive line and maybe be a guard, a starting guard down the line for this football team as well. A lot of intrigue. There's different possibilities. This could end up being Curhan's show because of his experience. Maybe Lucas is ready day one. I know that that's what the Seahawks hope happens. That would be the most ideal situation. Hey, our third-round pick, it's a hit. He's a starter on day one, and he beat out the competition. But they don't care about where you were drafted. If Forsythe comes in and plays like a starter and outperforms the other two guys, then he needs to be the starter. So it's going to be a very fascinating battle. It's probably the one, aside from quarterback, obviously, that I am looking forward to the most as we get closer to training camp. As always, you can follow me on Twitter at Corbin Smith NFL. You can follow Rob at Rob Rang. Thanks for making Locked On Seahawks your first listen five days a week. And make sure to check out the Locked On NFL podcast for your second listen. Our national NFL experts and insiders keep fans dialed in with the biggest stories and the latest news from around the league because an offseason doesn't equal a break in the action. Coming up on our Wednesday episode, we're going to continue our 90-player countdown, and we have our next What If Wednesday coming up on tap. Going to keep the topic under tabs here, but you won't want to miss it on tomorrow's show. Looking forward to it. Thanks, as always, for listening. Enjoy the rest of your Tuesday. Go Hawks.